Welcome back to Left Anchor. I'm Alexi the Greek. Uh, and I'm Ryan Cooper. Um, today we've got a, a special guest, um, Manu Sadia. Did I did I remember that correctly? <laughs> That'll work. <laughs> yeah. uh, how about you? You tell Ryan one one more time. Tell him how he should try it. Manu Sadia. It's Hebrew. Yeah. Okay. 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 Yeah. I mean, we're we're. I, I've been trying to get my. We're going to talk France today, so I was trying to get my head into the uh, French mindset, but. Now we've got Hebrew names, you know, my poor blinkered American brain can can barely handle English as it is. So, you know, we're we're doing a little oh workout God. here in the old the old brain parts. But um anyway, thanks so much for coming on. Um My pleasure. We we want we wanted to have um Manu on to talk uh French politics. Um uh, because uh you're originally from France, is that correct? Oh yes, born and raised in Paris. Yeah, yeah, gay Paris. Um, <laughs> and uh, he he's so from from France, but also the author of the book Treconomics, which is, I believe, about the economics of Star Trek, um, if I may make that conclusion. But <laughs> that that is correct. <laughs> so I think you know. Maybe just to start the discussion here, you know, France has been racked by uh, protests and instability around the um, the Yellow Vest protests. And I thought maybe you could just give us a little bit of background about, like, how they got started and, you know, what the sort of underlying grievance was there originally. So the, the Yellow Vest um, are... By law required, you're required by law to carry yellow vests in the trunk of your car in case of accident. And the yellow vest protest is very tied originally to issues that have to do with mobility and moving around. Um, The inciting event in November was a rise in the diesel fuel tax. Um, Believe it or not, in France... uh, a lot of cars are still still run on diesel, and that's a result of uh, 1980s industrial policy, which uh, favored diesel cars made by French car makers. Um, so this is a, this protest started as a you know protest against the rising cost of filling up your tank. It was also uh, tied to the fact that last year the prime minister decided to uh, lower the speed limit on the rural roads to from 90 kilometers per hour to 80 kilometers per hour. So that's, you know, uh, what is that? It's like 45 miles per hour? Yeah, like 50, yeah, I some, think. Yeah, from 50 to 45. Um, the, the, the hope with that measure was that it would reduce uh, mortality on the roads. Uh, And if you know, and if you've been to France, you know that those little roads in the countryside are death traps uh, and that people who believe they know the place because they live there, you know, take inconsiderate risks. But uh, this was seen as kind of a punitive uh, decree, uh, an ukaz of some sort, and um, it's a, sort of get the the protest going, or at least you know the Facebook protest going. Um, 
And then they, they started to organize on social media around these two issues. And it opened the door to more demands and to a, a much wider airing of grievances, which, were, which had been simmering for a very long time. Uh, and then, you know, they started, so the Yellow Vest protesters started to occupy those roundabouts that les ronds-points, as they're called, roundabouts. So, you know, uh, in France, every little town, at the entrance of the little town, you have a roundabout instead of a big crossing. Uh, it's great public works. It's, it's a place to display and to showcase uh, the pride of your town. Uh, and it's also, it's a feature. It's everywhere. And so people started to gather there and to sort of occupy them. Um, so we, we were a little bit, at least for, for some of the protesters, we were in that logic of occupation, which I found personally interesting uh, because people were, you know, either honking or stopping by and, you know, to show support or not. And this is a way to um, hold a public forum. Uh, so there was that. And then they started to demonstrate every Saturday uh, in all the towns around France. Uh, and that, it's interesting. That, too, is interesting because the demonstration on Saturday tells you something about the sociology of who's demonstrating. You know, besides uh, um, the infiltrated uh, royalists and other anarchists, which, you know, are something else entirely. Uh, a lot of people who are demonstrating were demonstrating on Saturday because they have jobs, they have obligations, uh, they're, they're, they're overwhelmingly lower middle class or to middle class, you know, um, and they came to Paris quite often, uh, went down the Champs-Élysées and there were, you know, uh, the Vuitton stores and all the luxury stores were burnt at one point or another. Uh, there was some fighting. I mean, it's the police has been, uh, I mean, but it's the French police, so you should expect that it has been absolutely uh, brutal in ways that is, uh, you know, I, I, I have no words. They, they're, they're allowed to use these grenades that are basically, you know, that have like, I think 20 grams of TNT in them and, you know, they, they shoot them straight at the face of demonstrators. I mean, it's it's just people have lost eyes and hands and stuff like that. Um, and granted, you know, there were some uh, elements in the demonstrations who were way more radical, both left and right. And uh, um, but you would think that the French police would have known how to isolate these people. So there was this mass movement and it has been going on since November so there, as a matter of fact, today there were more demonstrations again. Right. Um, no, no breaks. Is, I mean, there was, there's been no weekend, I think, I believe, since November where there was no, no. De- right? It's been constant demonstrations at least every week. Even, even, even during, you know, what is a sacrosanct peri- period in France, uh, like the, ho- the winter holidays, you know, everybody goes on, on holidays or, you know, stays off work and people have been demonstrating. I'm very curious to see if it's going to continue until the summer when people leave for summer vacation. Um, the, the government tried to, I mean, the government did something in reaction, which was to create what they, or to initiate what they called the Grand Débat, 
great debate. So um, this is almost like 1789 where they had all these cahiers de doléances. So um, in 1789, you know, all the people from France had were asked to write down or to have some someone write on their behalf their grievances for the king and the you know for for the king and the regime. And so this is something like that. Something like that happened for the past three months. Mm-hmm. And uh, and now Macron has come up. You know they they get a lot of people summarizing all the contributions which were both public and online. And now Macron has um, you know given his conclusions and uh, his proposals. Before we get to that, I think because we have so much to talk about, uh, Mm. before we get to this very interesting procedure that in a very democratic way that that goes back through the history for years to to give to the the ruling class kind of uh, a, a way to negotiate with the people and appease them. Maybe we start even further back with the the demands and and suss out even more uh, about what the the movement is really um, concerned with and why. Going back, not just Macron, but but how he is maybe the kind of encapsulating spark uh, to a movement that's really been concerned with the way that capitalism has 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 harmed so many people in the last twenty years or so, right? So so perhaps we back up a little bit, and and even little mm-hmm. things like the, the the new law about reducing, um, you know, the speed limit uh, along with the fuel tax, both putatively about right climate change but ignoring mm. ignoring the harms that redound and the costs that redound to certain populations in France mm. right because of course what capitalism has done for example has made people who are in the rural areas uh, with kind of as some of the, the readings we did for today uh, suggested the Walmartization of, of capitalism has made people have to drive farther and farther away from their rural towns to get services to do various things and mm. so you know time is money for people that have hourly wages and cost has, I mean, for the fuel taxes for some people were, were greater in a year than their income tax. So, so these things at once are treating a, a global disaster by bearing the costs on people who have been uh, forced to get diesel engines and so forth, right? So, so maybe we can suss out uh, even more about why they're so angry, and and, and then we can go mm. go to uh, if Macron and and this process is uh, ameliorating their concerns and, and and where to go from there. I think there's um. Setting aside the issue of capitalism, which looms large behind all this, you you have um, endogenous endogenous dynamics at play here with France. Uh, so of course you know that doesn't escape the rearrangements of capitalism in the past forty years. Um, but what seems to have happened in the past forty years is is this bifurcation between towns that are connected to global networks of production and exchange and the countryside, which seems to um, have lagged behind in that respect. So there is that. Then also, one thing that strikes me and sort of you never quite see it in the, in the discussions online or, you know, in newspapers and all that, is that mass unemployment has been a fact of life in France since the 1970s. Uh, I don't remember a year, you know, I was born in 1972. I don't remember a year when there was not mass unemployment in France. And obviously, the the unemployed in France of the 1980s are not the same unemployed as those of today. So even though things have really changed and and improved on some level for some in France, 
it seems that there's this rolling crisis of unemployment. And now it's, you know, mostly affecting the part of France that is on the line. If you draw a line between from Luxembourg all the way to Biarritz, so the southwest corner, um, and to the right, to the east, you have these disaffected regions, um, the central massive, the massive central, so the central part of France, which is very rural and struggling, and uh, all the agricultural towns in the east and the north. Uh, and this used to be the industrial base of France. Uh, and now the west, the west of that line is where most of the dynamism uh, has happened. And it's kind of an effect. I, I don't want to say hysteresis, but there is kind of, an, of a reason for that. The, the Brittany, for instance, was incredibly poor and underdeveloped. And starting in the 70s, the French state massively invested in the western part of France to sort of counterbalance and 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 find a new uh, equilibrium. Um, and so these investments have paid off. You do have uh, high-speed rail train all the way to Brest. I mean, I remember when I was a kid, we'd go to Brest because part of my family is from there. It was, you know, some people didn't have bathrooms. Uh, now it's, you know, one of the most dynamic area in France. Um so these shifts, which were, you know, driven by policy in part, um, have uh, uh, affected the south. Uh, I mean, affected the east of that line. the The south of France, really, the the part, you know, the Riviera, kind of, you know, from Nice to Marseille. Marseille is its own thing, but otherwise, this that part of the south that's on the Mediterranean is doing relatively fine. Um, because of the proximity to other countries and I think uh, a long history rooted in exchange and uh, fishing also. Uh, so, And also the fact that a lot of people want to live there because it's nice, uh, you yeah. know, like California. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so that's, that, there's this, this, the weight of geography and, and of social geographies is, cannot be discounted in what happened. Um, and, and these are things obviously that will take a very long time to resolve, uh, one way or the other, you know, even if the state decided to put all its weight behind, uh, um, reinvesting in these territories, it, I mean, it took 30 years for Brittany to get there. So, you know, we're not talking about something that will happen overnight or that can be, uh, easily assuaged or, or easily fixed with measures announced, you know, uh, by the president. Like, this right, is right. not... That simple. Like, it's not that simple, yeah. No, it's the weight of history. So there's that. So these are the endogenous logic. And I would say, you know, we're back to this thing where the countryside really... I mean, that's that's what struck a lot of people in the cities. I, I, I'm thinking of my friends in particular. They're like, these people hate us. They hate the cities, the big cities. It's a... It's, uh, you know, and I guess my friends are like they're academics and hipsters, you know. So um, <laughs> <laughs> it, it's it's it, they're they're the sort of a the the cultural uh, precariat 
kind of. So, <laughs> uh, you know, so, so they're like, these people hate us. I understand, but they hate us. It's it's very strange. Is there an association between, sorry, sorry, Ryan, just very quickly, between the Go yellow ahead. vests and people that need a, a car so that they're, they're, the people in Paris don't so much feel a part of the movement? And, and yet... No. Uh, okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. If, if you're Parisian, like if you have a car, you're really... Strange. You're really dumb, or right, you're really right, dumb, right, right. Okay. or you want to show off, you know. So, so, so but we'll, but there are in Paris, it's a big issue because a lot of people come to Paris to work and they use their car. You know, people from the the suburbs and they use their cars and their cars use diesel. And Paris is one of the most polluted city in the world as a result. Uh, yeah, so the, the, this the, um, may may be worth um, uh, a little context on the diesel thing, which has been an obsession <laughs> in Europe for a long time. That that um, clean diesel. Ba- yeah, ba- <laughs> right. Back in back in, correct me if I'm wrong about this, but like back in the '80s, you know, Euro- Europeans started they started getting concerned about uh, you know climate change emissions, trying to make society more efficient and so forth. And diesel does get better mileage than gasoline. It wasn't it wasn't climate change. It was the cost of gasoline. Right. Uh, right. Okay. Well, so, so they were like. Yeah, diesel is more efficient, you know, the diesel engine, whatever. So let's do that. But but we, it also we will import less oil. Yeah, but it also it, they uh, there's a the emissions of particulate and nit- uh, nitrous oxide pollution oh, is much God, worse yes. in ozone, and um, so now you know they're stuck with this huge fleet of diesel uh, cars, which are just just awful for the environment, and and um, now you know. What, this was a thing with Volkswagen, right? Where they were rigging yes. the tests, right, to make it whenever they're whenever the. It's testing. not just Volkswagen. It's Renault. Yeah. It's Peugeot. Like they all fake the tests. It's no. It's they're just no. Diesel's just no good, you know. And no. Until and and it seems now that that like the thing that you should do is is just go straight for electric. Like don't even bother going for gasoline. But you have all these people who who made the investment according to the social contract of the age and now it's like, oh we gotta pay more for our for our diesel. Oh it's worse it's- than that. It's like our diesel cars are worth nothing now. That's right. The cars That's, themselves they can't sell the and, cars. And it's a big it's a big investment and suddenly it has lost most of its value. Yeah. So that, there was can- a lot of anger about that. Yeah. Right, it's it's funny because I read in the in the one of the articles about the average uh, wealth of the yellow vest person, the average person's age forty five, but it suggested that they're not the poorest of the poor because that you know they on average they own a car, eighty five percent own a car, except their car is worthless and they need it to get to work and they can't ex- afford the gas, right, or the diesel, yeah. the diesel, you know. And uh, and uh, the and and switching to electric is a big investment, and yeah. uh, uh, I mean the state has put in place all sorts of incentives and rebates, uh, and hopefully. This thing will slowly work out, um, but but the French, you know, like they, I don't know if it's like Americans, but there's this thing where people are really attached for economic reasons to the cars they own, but also you know, um, there's there's this the the culture around the car is hard to root out. But I guess you know if there are no more uh, public no more public means of public transportation, uh, what what can you do? It used to be that the French. Uh, rail system would go to all these little villages and lose a lot of money on these, uh, you know, barely used lines. But it was public service, service public, as we call it. And um, under European directives, the SNCF, so the the, the national rail company, has to um, 
forego most of the subsidies and must be open to competition by, you know, the late 2020s. So this is what's going on here as well. The the other part of the equation we haven't mentioned yet is that uh, Macron <laughs> uh, pushed a, a big... Uh, e- Correct me if I'm wrong. He got rid of the wealth tax in France, correct? Which is like a one percent tax on wealth over some size, like the, like the that. richest three hundred and sixty-five thousand families, or something like that. Yeah, but it, like the way he changed it is is um, was supposedly smart. I mean, he, he tried to make it sound like smart, so it was not going. The wealth tax was on all income. You know, bam, flat all income. Do it now. It's been changed to only income from um, real estate. So uh, to supposedly incentivize people to invest more. Yeah. Uh, So so like now you're not going to pay the wealth tax on the income you derive from capital, only from immobile capital or from non-productive capital. So um, So it's... yeah. It, in effect, <laughs> it was a massive tax cut for the rich, right? I mean, in, in terms of just like uh, distributional effect, right? Well, at the same time, he's jacking up taxes on people who have to drive around, you know, in rural areas. The That was the perception. Uh, in reality, the rich people in France are well advised by uh, lots of lawyers and stuff like that. And so the actual receipts from the wealth tax were... If I remember, it was 3.5 billion euros. So to give you a sense of a uh, uh, scale, the French budget is 300 billion. Uh, yeah. So it it was it was it was not inconsequential money, but it wasn't something that had a fundamental redistributive impact. Yeah, it's more symbolic. It had been lowered. Yeah, it, it was symbolic. But symbols do matter tremendously for the French. Um, of course, I would say. Yeah the idea of equality or at least equity is you know if not equality equity is something that uh you know everybody has to pay their fair share fairness fairness and there must be a reason because if the analysis you gave so well shows how kind of geographically situated the harm is then that doesn't explain why so much of the country is behind or supportive of this movement because i think the mm-hmm. the polling shows tremendous uh supports not just in these areas where yep. people right are harmed i remember seeing a a, a poll in december uh, so in the you know at the height of the movement i think about 75% to 80% of people were behind the movement because they thought it was legitimate um the, the interesting part was that the support, I think, was crystallized precisely because of the unfairness of the situation. Even though in terms of real numbers, uh, we need a much bigger wealth tax, wealth tax in France than yeah. what was, you know, it had been chipped away gradually. Um, the, the, the unfairness is really what ticked off people. And uh, uh, honestly, the... the the uh, deafness, I would say, of the government. Um, so that's something that I, um, I would, I, yes, this is this is something significant, I believe. The um, the the so Macron has has a, has he has a sort of program that he's been he's been pushing. Uh, both as president and then previously, right? Mm. He was the like economics minister, or the the finance yep. minister. Finance. 
of of the uh, in the Hollande government, and and they passed something right called the I think they called it the Macron bill right in 2015. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about what that did and sort of what his uh, aside from taxes and and diesel taxes like what what was the sort of general orientation of that? I mean, one of the things he, he tried to pass during his tenure as finance minister was a, a, a liberalization of uh, all sorts of little labor laws. Uh, but he's, the, that bill is most well known because of what they call the Macron bus. So the Macron buses, because he opened up uh, transportation to private companies uh, in the countryside. So, you know, instead of the the train, now you could have private companies bidding to um, take people from one place to the other and, you know, uh, make money off of that. And with some subsidies from the government, precisely to um, reduce or, or to cushion the impact of the retreat from the rail company. So the Macron buses uh, had their, you know, time uh, in 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 the sun. I would say it. It now it's like it 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 turned out to be a non viable financially for a lot of those private companies. Uh, <laughs> imagine that. <laughs> imagine that. Uh, th- there's a reason why you know we treat transportation as a public good. So uh, yes. So that that's what one of the most significant thing it does. It did as a candidate and and. That's what I find really funny or ironic, I would say. He ran as neither left nor right, or more precisely, and right and left. That was his big thing. I'm both right and left. Yeah. Uh, and I- interestingly, the movement against him, that the, the, this mass movement against him, is both right and left. So there's this mirror effect right here that I find is historically significant and uh, portentous. Um, this was basically people massively saying that they don't want what he's giving them. The problem is that it's not clear what all these people want because they're both left and right. So the left part of the movement was like, we, we need you know more public transportation, we need more taxes on the rich, and we need to... Um, have massive state subsidies to transition from diesel cars to something else. Uh, so that was on the left side. On the right side, it's people who are more uh, uh, petit commerce, so, you know, small business owners and, mm. uh, you know, struggling to a certain extent in the countryside and who want, you know, fewer taxes, uh, more uh, um what they call the RIC, so Referendum Initiative Citoyenne, so like sort of, you know, having proposals, propositions like in California or in some states in the U.S. where if you get enough signatures, this or that law will be voted on in a referendum. Um, and I was looking at that. And I was like, you know what it does in California? It's not good. Like this is not necessarily something that, uh, you know, and, and, and besides, it's going to, you know, make a lot of consultants make money. So yeah. It doesn't do what you think it does, but there is this sense of you know wanting direct populist democracy in a way that might have unforeseen uh, 
consequences. Well, sure. <laughs> th- there's problems with every form of politics. Yes. It, it seems that the current problem is that the promise of, of technocratic expertise has failed the right and the left constituents, right? Like you have people uh, who both thought, oh, maybe this is magic. Maybe this guy who is, he's uh, a, a, yeah. a philosopher. He can he can tell us about, you know, post-structuralist, post-modern philosophers mm. in depth. And he's, it's just like the Mayor Pete over here in the States, right? Who, who has... He's who has, Mayor he, Pete. Exactly, exactly. You know, who's so smart. He He's just so smart. And if he comes up with the best policies, then he can he can address all of our disparate needs. And so that probably explains that the, the failure of that is is uh, across the spectrum of, of political uh, interests and, and ideology, right? But I would say, you know, I, I get animated about this because... <laughs> they, we they, we, we this... like that here. We like it. And I talk with my hands too. I'm Greek, so it's good. I like yes. it. <laughs> I'm half Israeli. That's what's going on here. It's beautiful. Um, uh, the The... What really gets me mad here, uh, it's, it's that there's this meme in France. It's been going on for so long of decline, declinism, and it's because of the immigrants or it's because of this or that. And, and there's like so many books every year. There's like tons of literature. There's Michel Houellebecq talking about the decline of France. Um, Eternal France is, you know, on the fritz or whatever. Th- when you look at the numbers, I mean, I, I was looking at a chart in The Economist last week and france is like has is among the top of the top like top three in redistributive policies we have the best healthcare system in the world um public transportation is excellent uh so the declinism like really makes me mad because things are not that dire they're bad for for some people in france and they should be addressed but the things that what we know the power of the French state can address this pro- these problems and has in the past. And I think, you know, some people get really mad, like me, but I think others get really, get really mad at the fact that um, things could have been done in a much better way. And it would not have taken that much. And yeah. it's kind of, uh, it, it's, it's, I remember this the, during the, the movement, so it was in December, maybe late November, the Minister of Health uh, went on TV and, you know, because some of the, the demands of the demonstrators was, we want hospitals back in the countryside. And, you know, there's this policy right now to centralize hospitals because some of the most advanced, more advanced medicine kind of only works at scale if you want to keep it cheap. Uh, you cannot have... IRM and scanners and, you know, super advanced immunotherapy, which is free in France. Everything is free. Um, You cannot have that at scale at the cost we're getting it if, you know, every little hospital has a maternity. And but then, you know, if the hospital doesn't have a if your local little hospital doesn't have a maternity, you need to be able to get to the the other one. Sure. So the Minister of Health was was addressing these questions of which are in a sense the question of allocate, territorial allocation of uh, limited resources, and she said I don't. And she was on TV, and she's not a politician. And it's funny because I went to school with her brother, and I know her, and uh, she doesn't <laughs> know me anymore, you know. But like it's it, because Paris is very small, um, and she was like I don't understand why people are so angry. We have the best healthcare system in the world and we have the best social um, 
uh, how do you say, a social uh, safety net in the world. So maybe she was a little hyperbolic, but close. And so it's it's not as bad. That's what I'm saying. And it can be addressed with good policy. It's not, uh, I mean, there are limits to, to the policies that can be implemented because of Europe. But I yeah. think, you know, um, the the transportation issue, for instance, could be addressed with a more forceful poli- with a more forceful stance in the European Commission. Um, this is it's it's really enraging. That's why I'm saying because I think the people who demonstrated were right to demonstrate, and it's really enraging that it got to that because it didn't have to. Right now, so it's I mean because it strikes me. Look, uh, obviously. France is even those who are suffering in some sense. If you make it relative, say you know in Greece, of course, we have uh, uh, a great depression, and we're, we're taking oh in God. right uh, hundreds of thousands of refugees, and, and it's a different situation. Yes. And then at the same time, in the United States, which has even more wealth, is not doing what it what it should for its people in the way that France does in the redistributive way. And and, and so there's there's both uh, in terms of its its relative uh, power and wealth, it's much higher than many, and it's also mm-hmm. doing more for for the, those on the lower um, echelons of the economic uh, right um, stratum and so forth. Uh, but as we know, uh, inequality, whether it's... Look, Trump got elected not from the poorest of the poor, not even, nope. not even in those places that were swing states. Those were people who had the kind of... Uh, the wages of whiteness problem who, who uh, were, were, were angry that their whiteness was not getting them as much as it used to and, and still felt a loss. And so there can be a real sense of loss that's even just yes. on, on the left, actually, that that's people uh, expect more when the when the rich are getting richer, as Piketty shows, even in France, right? Mm-hmm. The, the wealthier yes. are doing much, much better, relatively speaking, uh, even in this very generous uh, welfare state. And so there yes. is an indignation that is that is because, of, like, as you said, the the equity or the unfairness uh, is legitimate in the face of this growing wealth at the very top. I think what's interesting also is we're talking about a, I don't want to say a revolution, but we're talking about a mass movement uh, of high expectations that have been dashed. Um, And what struck me also about the movement is that no uh, people of, you know, uh, a shade darker than white uh, seem to have taken part in this. And I'm trying to put this uh, in diplomatic terms. The, the yellow vests were overwhelmingly uh, Francais dans France, you know, Francais de souche, as they say, like uh, rooted French or, you know, something like that. Uh, France profonde, that, that's been the, the deep France, France profonde, that's been the, the, the vocabulary for uh, this in a long while. Um, ha- had any, you know, uh, sons and daughters or grandsons and granddaughters of immigrants uh, taken part in the demonstrations, uh, you know, especially the looting and burning in Paris, uh, you know, I, maybe the government would have been happy because they could have said, oh, it's not, you know, it's, 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 oh, it's sure. these people. Sure. But these people, uh, quote unquote, actually didn't take part in any of that because they, it seems that spontaneously they concluded that there was nothing in it for, for them. Um, hmm. This was, th- this is something that I, I find really remarkable. And, you know, in France, we don't want to talk about race because race doesn't exist in France. Um <laughs> so racism exists, but not race. Uh, it's an yeah. interesting construct. So, uh, but it's 
it's it's remarkable that the banlieue who were demonstrating in 2005 there were there was like a month of rioting and burning cars and uh burning uh houses uh in 2005 it was brutally repressed there was some kind of plan put in place to you know inject some more money in there it was uh, when sarkozy was a minister of the interior but these were riots. These were like riots of real poverty and uh, uh, abandoned. And they did not take part this time. Uh, and it did not spread to the banlieue. And I think that's remarkable. What, what's your uh, analysis? I don't know what it means. Yeah. Okay, yeah, you're not sure why. It seems that, well, for, for one, the... It, it's, okay, precarious employment is the lot of people in the banlieue, but as it is becoming the lot of people in the countryside. Um, and it seems that, but maybe I'm wrong, maybe it's atmospheric, I'm not entirely sure, but there was a sense of these people on the periphery uh, feeling that they were being treated like Banlieue people, maybe. Uh, maybe there was a hint of we're not like these people. We deserve more. Maybe there was a hint of that. So there was that. And then there was the fact that um, the initial uh, gilet jaune or, or yellow vest movement, so blocking life in one place or another so as to get uh, some kind of settlement from the government, at first uh, there were movements like these in the um, Territoire d'Outre-mer, so in abroad France or ultramarine France, so in the, the former colonies, and there was one in Guyane uh, a year before the Yellow Vest during the presidential election, and they basically blocked off the one big road there, and uh, they waited for a billion euros from the government to ensure safety. Um, th and that worked. Uh, so uh, this is... This is this is something I find uh, quite strange because the racial politics of the Yellow Vest movement has not been discussed that much. I still don't quite have a handle on it, but I think it should be noted and, you know, uh, uh, put put out there in the discussion. Uh, maybe some people have said maybe it is the white precariat you know, rural precariat in France. Maybe that's, and maybe some people even said that maybe that's why uh, it felt more legitimate and it felt okay to support it for 80% of the population. Maybe. Um, and maybe that's why actually some stuff is going to come out of this uh, because it's France Profonde and it's deep France and these are people who vote. Uh, I don't know. So, um, I want to go go back just a little bit to Macron's um, uh, policy reforms. So in 2015, they do a big labor market liberalization bill, and you know the 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 um, the stereotype of of the French worker. Uh, you know, it's just like oh, 35 <laughs> hours a week, and you know everyone gets a mandatory unfiltered cigarette smoke break every two hours and you know it's just just like a bunch of lazy entitled people who don't like to work 
As, but that's as, not that that if, is so not true. No, the of course, workers are among the most productive in the world. No, they just don't want to work for the man. Yeah, the, <laughs> no. So I was I was gonna say you you do make like uh, Piketty had a a good um, uh, post about this. Where he was looking at GDP per hour worked and what what yeah. are the most productive economies in the world? United States, Germany, and France. They're both basically tied. All three yep. basically tied. So, the, so the French economy is really good. Like it has some some structural problems, but it's like cutting edge, best in the world. Um, yes. And you know, nevertheless, there's this this stereotype that the French economy is overregulated that I think is shared among like the Macron circle. And the idea yep. is that you can unlock some potential by doing stuff like making the capital te- uh, wealth tax or whatever more efficient. Or you know, loosening some regulations on this or that, but the result of that has been basically just a wet fart. You know, the the after the recession, you know, um, I'm just looking at a chart of uh, France's annual GDP growth, and you know, from it it crested two percent in 2011, basically bound and went almost to nothing in 2013. Bumping yep. around at one percent for 2014 to 2017, briefly crested two percent again in late 2018. Now it's back down, headed towards one percent again. So, yeah, so, yeah, it's it's not lowering the wealth tax that's going to change that. Yeah, <laughs> right. Not, and <laughs> like the basic bargain of you know the the of neoliberalism, you know, and this this sort of like reform agenda is that. Mm. Well, we do these things which are sort of like unequal and and are like you know removing regulations and stuff that make people's lives more convenient or easier, but we get more wealth as a result. That's the sort of golden straitjacket logic, but it's just not panning out at all. Do you think that has <laughs> anything to do with the reaction to Macron? It's like you're just selling, you're giving away the store for nothing. Um, <laughs> uh, it, it's to be fair, this has been going on for a long time. Uh, so it's you know uh, under Hollande, under Sarkozy, the Sarkozy was elected with the pro, uh, you know with the sort of injunction to uh, work more to get more, uh, you know travailler plus pour gagner plus. And uh, what, what happened? I mean, okay, there was two thousand eight, so I guess that's what happened. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but the the it's it's just not panning out for many reasons that I think also are tied to the fact that France is uh, in lockstep with Germany, uh, yeah. and so so there is no slack for the monetary policy whatsoever. But it hasn't been since the seventies and the uh, European monetary system. So. <clears throat> Uh, it seems that the bargain, it, we're going back to this question of mass unemployment. There is this bargain that growth is going to be middling, unemployment is going to be high, but benefits will help manage this. And uh, we're going to chug along and, you know, in the intervening time, we're going to try to lower taxes. Macron's policy is funny because his answer to everything seems to be let's lower taxes. Um it's no, no, but like I, I'm saying that as a joke. But their analysis of what they got from uh, this massive three months great debate throughout France is we need to lower taxes. <laughs> well, that's not quite what people were were asking for. They said we want lower taxes on 
the you know bottom 50 some something like that and we want higher taxes on yeah. the top one percent it's who, who bears the cost right it's, it's who bears yeah. the cost and that and that's the fundamental thing that somehow neoliberals are very good at avoiding understanding that problem right <laughs> no no they're un- i i think they understand it perfectly but yeah, yeah. they are ideologically committed to the fact that we know better i mean macron probably thinks that the wealth creators uh should be and, and that was pretty much uh what he said when he gathered all these uh, CEOs from all over the world last year and was like, yeah, you know, France is open for business. We're, we're here. We want to do business. <laughs> um, there, there is a and it's kind of interesting because the French economy, again, as you uh, as Ryan mentioned, like it's it's not that bad. There, there are great multinational export companies. Um, the equivalent, you know, like Americans are very good at tech and the big tech companies, the big American tech companies and the French, it's good. It, it's Gucci, which is owned by a French company. It's Louis Vuitton. It's Hermes. It's like it's the luxury thing and, and luxury and airplanes. And it's doing very well, except eh, it's it's uh, how should I say to do very well, you should not employ a lot of people, and you should have uh, you should sell products that have you know eighty or to ninety percent uh, gross margin. And right, so that's, right. <laughs> that's what we're talking about. And, and help me here because I did my best to to read in French these these wonderful uh, sociological Sweet. studies, right? And so so uh, I see purchasing power came up a lot as something that has been declining mm. as a problem. Yes, and then I noticed also. Uh, this kind of cleavage among the working class. It's not the simple stratification of upper, no. middle, lower, right? There's the, no. in, the intersectionality of it depends if you're a woman, if you're an immigrant, if you don't have a diploma, right? These, yes. these things really can affect uh, how you do even within a given class. And, so and I think also where you come from, like the geography is fundamental. Yeah. Um, if like me, you know, like me and my friends, we grew up in the center of Paris, uh, you know, you, you have to be a fuck up like me. Sorry, you have to be uh, uh, somebody like me to actually, you know, end up in the U.S. and not part of the action. It, it takes a uh, wonderful it takes a wonderful fuck up, though, to to write a book on Star Trek economics. Come on. That's amazing. <laughs> thank you. Thank it's you. It's a beautiful thing. Thank you. Thank you. But the friends back home were not amused because they are serious. <laughs> um, it, it's but what I'm saying is like I, I actually I grew up in, in this place where I know some people who are like in the upper echelons of the government. And then they were my school friends. Uh, and because Paris is very tiny yeah. and Paris rules. So if you're, even if you're, uh, and you know, I'm, I'm the son of uh, uh, sort of like petty bourgeois psychoanalysts. So it's not like we were any kind of wealthy or anything, but by virtue of being in Paris, I went to the best schools in France. And I stumbled into them. Uh, yeah. And that's, I know what that, you mean. Exactly. I, I'm in, in Athens. I'm friends with somebody who went to school with Alexei Tsipras. Just because it's so small that everyone yes. knows everyone. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's, it's, um, it's one of these things where – so you have all these uh, um, splits in the French working class, which you know, are, are exploited by various operators, including you know, Marine Le Pen – and the, the National Front, whatever their name is now. Um, and then you have the geographic issue, which I think uh, came to the fore and really uh, uh, fully formed and, and uh, in its full potency in the uh, Yellow Vest movement. Because if you're born in Clermont-Ferrand, unless you know, you're the son of the um, upper... Uh, 
not even upper class. I would say if you're if you're the son of a traveling state uh, a civil servant, uh, unless you're that, eh, it's gonna be tough to actually break into the thing. Which, by the way, is kind of funny because Macron himself. He's the son of dentists from uh, Amiens, so it's like he's, he's a he's a Flaubert character. Uh, he, he's like <laughs> no, I mean he really is. That's why he's so eager because he's he's even more. He has to be more than the. If he were Parisian, he he wouldn't be like that because he'd be Parisian. So he's he like Obama. He's, yes, in a way. Yeah, he, I mean he would love that comparison, man. He's a. <laughs> He's an outsider who the the yep. like ten percent of people that are from the outside of the mm. uh, you yes. know social like escalator who did manage to climb onto it and then therefore yep. think that because they did that anybody could do it and yes. uh, I earned he's, you know what I what I got. Um, I mean, he's not exactly working class. I, let's you know, he's like petty bourgeois, provincial petty bourgeois, but just like Obama. Better, Yes. <laughs> well, Hawaii is nice, uh, or nicer than Amiens, yeah, I would say. Uh, although, you know, Obama's mother was an academic, and she was an, uh, an anthropologist, so there's something there that's a yeah. little different from the pharmacist or the, you know, the, the very Flaubert, uh, notable dentist from the small town in France. Um, but Macron, yes, he's, he's that kind of weird product. Uh, I would note that in his proposals... Uh, that he just came up with was to break up the ENA, so the École Nationale d'Administration, the ENA, which is the school, the the school of administration where all, uh, most most or if not all of France's uh, high civil servants and CEOs go to. Uh, François Hollande, the former president, was a, a enarch. Uh, I don't know how many prime ministers went there, but I think most of them, uh, including the current one, the current one, uh, Macron went to ENA, even though you know he he, he took a circuitous route to it. Um, Sarkozy was an exception; he didn't go to ENA, but uh, Chirac went to ENA. So Macron wants to kind of break it up. Um, so he has named a somebody to do a report <laughs> because, you know, <laughs> they're going to have to find a way to break it up. Um, and Diana is, uh, Diana is, a, is a beautiful idea. It was De Gaulle and Maurice Torres, in 19- Maurice Torres, uh, uh, chief of the uh, Central Committee of the French Communist Party. Uh, at the end of the war, they sort of said, we need to have an institution where civil servants will be formed uh, outside of partisan boundaries so that we can modernize France and in the spirit of the resistance and uh, this sort of uh, great uh, idea of reconstruction. Uh, so that's that's where INA really got its start in 1945. And then as things went on, it turned out, you know, like uh, mostly it's not the sons of workers who end up at INA. It's the sons of people who went to INA and it's mostly Parisians. Uh, and they become ministers and they become uh, um, chiefs of staff. And then once they're done with that, they go to uh, lead uh, blue chip French companies. And it's, it's, it's a, a little endogamous <laughs> to use a, a, a nice term. But uh, yeah, I mean, like everybody in the French elite, everybody knows each other. And everybody is sort of like, uh, I mean, they, they do have their own little fights. But in the end, I think esprit de corps, so the, the, 
mentality of 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 uh, uh, the the closeness of it all makes it, you know. Is that what's really being objected to from the left and the right? Maybe this insider outsider yes. contrast that maybe yes. these are the insiders. Yeah, and you suggested interestingly that maybe we didn't have to have these movements because they ha- that everything is pretty good generally. They couldn't ha- they didn't have to mess it up in such a way as to get this response. Um, hmm. But maybe because they did, there won't be satisfaction even if they do the right policies. There seems to be a, a fundamental objection to the insider elite rule which has worked in many ways over the years but maybe that's the fundamental threat now that people i I think uh, uh, you're pointing also you're also pointing out to a fundamental problem or contradiction is that these uh uh, sort of elites in france which are extremely well educated you know uh and that is fantastic uh but the problem is they, they sort of lose touch with the 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 and i don't want to sound i I, you know i don't want to sound like a a trustiest here but yeah. they do lose uh contact with their roots sure. and with the way things are uh and they tend to view society in very instrumental terms yeah. uh and like we're moving around big objects and and shuffling right. around and and yeah. it's the great game of power right. and uh so it's the technocrat yes it's the technocrat mentality uh and and they're doing this a lot of them are very dedicated and they're doing this out of a sense of you know some of them become very wealthy Many others, like they stay for their whole life in the service out of, service, of the state. Out, of, out of duty, yeah. There, there, we do. Um, there is still a certain sense of civicism and a love for the republic. And um, one of the things that they've tried to do at Sciences Po and ENA in the past 15 years is to actually bring in people from the banlieue, so non-traditional profiles into the fold. Uh, and there's so much talent there and so many kids there who want to take part and to help and to serve. Uh, and I'm not talking about, you know, the army. I'm talking about really being in the machinery of the state and helping make things better. So there are a lot of people who believe in that genuinely. I believe in it. I don't take part in it, but I do still believe in it. And, um, but there's a difference it's, between service by by people who yes. believe the neoliberal line versus like the Alexandria Ocasio Cortezes who who fundamentally are very very smart and educated also but fundamentally see that the danger of such a thinking right there was um there was a lot of trotskyists who went into lena uh, <laughs> no it's not a joke lionel jospin so one of the best prime ministers france has had in the past 30 years, he went to Ena as a Trotskyist, as a, a doing entrism. Uh, and then he became a reformist because uh, life happens, uh, I suppose. But uh, a lot of the direction, a lot of the, uh, you know, top guys in the French Socialist Party were former Trotskyists of a very special uh, splinter of the Fourth International, so their own thing. Uh, and they all knew each other. Mélenchon is one of them. Uh, so the leader of La France Insoumise, so the, the sort of like left populist French leader uh, who, who has a great command of the language. I, I really like the way he uses language. Mm. Uh, he's a Trotsky. He used to be a Trotskyist uh, of the same you know, persuasion as Jospin and a few others. Um, so, you know, so some people actually went as revolutionaries into the uh, machinery of the state to take it over. And they got taken over. Mm. Uh, yeah. It's, it's, it's always the danger. You, <laughs> you, um, you mentioned the, the 
uh, front front national or, or you know <laughs> oh, marine the whatever it's called yeah yes. um you know when i th- when i think about the problems with you know france's economic problems it seems to me looking from outside the the overwhelmingly biggest one is that it's part of the eurozone and the eurozone yeah. is in big trouble um yes i'm looking at uh, uh just a graph of of uh usa versus eurozone uh, real GDP growth from 2008 yep. to 2018, and and uh, if you index it to 2008 is you know 100, the yep. USA, which has not been doing that well, but we're up to 117 uh, percent of our 2008 GDP. The eurozone mm-hmm. is at 107 uh, percent. So wow. That's that, very small. Well, two, how big was the drop, though? I mean, that, that's because we're, we're like we're like climbing back from the deep hole. the The hole was more shallow in in Europe, correct? Or no, maybe I'm wrong. The, no, it the, was as bad. It was it was a bit worse, but the pro, the problem really is that recovery has been consistently worse. So you know yes. the gra- the points diverge, and basically yeah. you know just I mean the upshot is that the eurozone is doing much 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 worse than the United States in terms of you know. Uh, Keep, keeping its economy up to full capacity. And I think most the, of that and, is... Uh, yeah, and the, the response of Macron is like, lower taxes. Yeah. So. <laughs> and what you, you but, know, if you're running France, I think, you know, what what, what I would try what else do you have? Is, is a big old Keynesian stimulus and, you know, jack up your taxes on the rich a bit, maybe to, uh, to tr- try to, wow. like, shift some income down the ladder, but you can't do that but, type of thing. You no. can't do big borrow and spend stuff under the eurozone rules because no. Germany will come you know unglued. Who, you know who would need that too? Germany, because their infrastructure is crumbling. Absolutely, and they have they have a, you know ahead of them they have a big wall of demography, uh, and you know by 2030 it's very possible that France will overtake Germany in terms of population. Uh, yeah. So suddenly we're going to see who's boss. Uh, <laughs> and no, but I mean you know, it's so, like we're going to right now it's the ordo liberals in Germany who are the boss. Yeah. So, the, I guess as the so, Greeks say, as the Greek know. My 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 question is, you know, do do you see a sort of a, a Euro skepticism fueling this type mm. of thing? To think like what you know, we need France for French French deep French people or or what what however you call mm. them, but uh. uh uh, we need to get out from under the thumb of these European bureaucrats so that we can determine our own sovereign destiny. Oh, the kind size of, of the banana. Yes. <laughs> I mean, no, no, but like what what you've seen in Britain is interesting. And I think, you know, the European Commission has used that as a, as a cudgel. Uh, but it's not just that. Like the reality is if you want to disentangle yourself from Europe... Uh, whoa, good luck, because it's really, really complicated. Yeah. Um, and England, by the way, you know, was not part of the eurozone, so yep. it was not. So it was supposedly less complicated. Um, I there are two uh, conflicting interpret or, or analysis or political analysis about this. Strategic, uh, you have on the one hand the the Mélenchon very left people who say we need to get out of Europe and under the thumb of the Germans. So sometimes it's inelegantly couched. In uh, somewhat, you know, uh, in that rhetoric of the Germans are ruling us. Um, and you have the more um, moderate left who say we need to reform Europe from the inside. Uh, 
And that is sounds really great, but I don't know how you do that. Uh, it's safe of, you know, having every country in Europe uh, being left wing and nominating a commission that is not so ideologically committed to um, liberal, you know, competition and all that. Which, by the way, you know, um, because of the commission, we do have for 20 euros, you get Internet, 500 channels and uh, unlimited data because like they they actually believe in their stuff like they actually believe in it so they force you know competition uh Damn, natural that's monopolies cheap. Are, yeah but it's funny yeah because you know it's like natural competition like they really believe in that so they force it it's not like natural monopolies in the US yeah it is very cheap it's weird um my so, just as a point of reference my just my internet no tv no phone lines or anything costs uh $60 for kind yeah, of shitty like mine. service yeah, yeah, and that, and that doesn't include free, um, you know, uh, what do you call that, uh, mobile data. Like this is these are yeah. all bundled. So, oh, Christ. <laughs> I know, I know, I I know it's nice. What am I doing here? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what am I doing here? <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Let's go. <laughs> but 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 you see the problem. Like it's it's you do have like a few things that are very good, and also you know food safety. Uh, so the size of the banana is actually a matter of food safety. Uh, but reforming Europe from the inside uh, is going to take some kind of transnational mass movement. Um, yeah, that's right. And it's interesting because Europe was hailed uh, as the sort of the next best thing. It was the utopia of the reformist left after the after the French Socialist Party in '83 abandoned Keynesian economics. They they like they, they they put all their chips on Europe and the construction of Europe and making Europe into this sort of um, Star Trek kind of entity. Uh, and I'm not saying that lightly. I, it's actually you know like the the long term idea was is to have this sort of federated uh, block uh, of people of all nationalities and culture. And the only thing where we will we'll get really mad at each other is soccer. Uh, and <laughs> And that's, but I don't know how you reform. I mean, I don't know in, in what does it mean to reform Europe. I right. don't know. I don't know if it, if it's abandoning the euro. I think you know. I've had some exchanges about this with a lot of people, and you know, serious economists think it was a dreadful idea and it was dreadfully implemented. Uh, and but you know, like criticizing the economics doesn't matter. It was a matter of politics. This was political. It was to get the Germans to stay within Europe after reunification it was to 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 so it was a matter of politics it was not and, yeah. and they wanted to keep their mark so to keep the Deutsch mark you had to give them uh we gave a lot to germany that's yeah, what happened of course of course look that the bankers the truth is the bankers in europe are running everything <laughs> and the heads of states are simply accommodating them as best as they can which is why they wouldn't admit in greece and maybe still don't that, oh they, they, that they had to restructure the debt because they didn't want to admit right what to, they did to greece yeah, of course. just it's, so, it's 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 and and that that's where it was revealed you know that there is no equivalent of the fdic in europe so there is no equivalent of a Europe-wide uh, protection of debt uh, and insurance or reinsurance of debt in case of default. Every country is responsible for its own debt, but there is one currency. And you look at that and you're like, this, this, this is a recipe for madness. 
Um, yeah. yep. and, and nobody, and instead of implementing that kind of reform, which is highly technical and it's going to be hard to get people behind it or a mass movement behind it because it's highly technical. It's like, oh, it's banking stuff. But instead of having, you know, a sort of mutualization of debt, uh, we're, we, we just went after Greece it's, and the way Greece was destroyed, I still don't understand why they, why they, they made a point of staying in Europe. I still don't understand it. Right. But we're talking about France. But yeah. it's... And, and, so, <laughs> and so back to France, though. So you have, for example, in the last 18 years, right, it looks like open-ended contracts have stayed flat around a million. But contracts yeah. that are temporary, less than a month, exploded to 4.5 million from, yes. from 1 million, right? So It's, it's so, France's heart's reforms. And, and they don't have unemployment benefits on those temporary contracts. So, so, so there's, you know, the the invisible hand is screwing people over, right? As much as the as the I mean, state invisible. wants. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's a uh, um, the rise of precarious employment is a global trend. Uh, this is something that has to do with platform platforms and and the sort of the invention of of platforms in part. Um, and the, the speeding up of the supply chains. And so this is something, I mean, it's like trying, to, I mean, the French, like they, they want to tax Google, you know, and they want to put taxes on social media and stuff like that. Like, it's like trying to plug a hole in a dike and the tide is coming up. I mean, the, the problems are global. The negative externalities are global and our institutions uh, even the transnational ones, like the European Commission, are 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 completely seem completely outclassed. And um, yeah, I mean, it you know, like it's, it's the the bizarre thing, and it applies to France in that sense. Is people say, "Oh, globalization, the global village, and all that," but the reality is, globalization feeds off all these. Uh, 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 discrepancies in in, ju- in jurisdiction, like the ju- jurisdictional arbitrage. Like for instance, you know, Luxembourg has is basically a tax haven, and it's part of the European Union. It it makes no sense. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, no, no. And you do, you have like the rich French, like they just you know locate their equi- LLC equivalent in Luxembourg and all that, and and. That's that's just how you do things. So it's I don't know how we I, I I don't know short of uh massive I don't know massive, know, massive, demonst- massive demonstrations for every weekend for months on end is is that going to help <laughs> even that I mean no but like look and and they did actually get some stuff out of it and there will be reforms and there will be more care but the fundamental issues of precarious employment. Uh, uh, and the transformation in capitalism that are affecting France, because France is a capitalist country that is, you know, very advanced and it's part of that. Uh, these changes, I mean, I'm thinking also the, the 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 fact that big cities, international cities are increasingly networked and, and separated from their milieu and their in- interlands. Um, that globalization of the elite, like this is not something that is going to change quickly or I would say that is going to, it's hard to imagine how you do uh, affect change on these things uh, in the normal institutional ways that are essentially national 
I've so, I've got a maybe as a final question here. Um, it's it it occurs to me, you know, when Sriza was was struggling with the um, Eurocrats in 2015, there were proposals going around that that in in the extreme in the in the event if push comes to shove what the greeks could do is seize the bank of greece which still exists and has the authority to print euros um and basically announce that they're going to use that printing authority to backstop the greek debt and hmm. basically sort of create by fiat an uh, a a Quasi second currency, yeah, independent yep. uh, uh, Greek euro within the within the eurozone, and and thereby get out from under the thumb of the European mm. Central Bank. Um, that was that's difficult for Greece because it's so small and it's so weak, and it was in such an economically precarious mm. situation. It would be a lot easier for a country like France, where you're you know what a third of the eurozone economy or something. And yeah. if you were to just like a new new lefty or rightist government, mm. frankly, you would probably be more likely to actually try something like this. <laughs> but but yes. to just you know send your send your troops into the French uh, national bank and say uh, we're we're backstopping French French debt and we're not going to care about our debt to GDP ratio anymore and we're doing a big old mm. um, um, stimulus project. Uh, What's your what do you think that I mean is anybody even talking about that sort of thing is or 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 otherwise trying to sort of like claw back a little bit of sovereignty to uh, to to you do have the the right wing does um, and Mélenchon yeah uh, really yeah yeah I mean it's it's a, it's an interesting uh, um, what is he up to these days Mélenchon. Um, He's uh, he's embroiled in a power struggle for his own party with another guy who's a filmmaker and very popular, who did a movie on the Gilets Jaunes and is also a deputy. So there is a you know it, it's it's the logic of groupuscule uh, replaying itself once again, which yeah. is really a mess because it it seems that you, you, Mélenchon is, is like he did something really impressive. And he, he got a lot of people behind him. And now they're fighting, like at the top, they're fighting about it, like in a very Trotskyist way. <laughs> uh, and, and, you know, there is going to be uh, knives and stuff like that after the European elections, because they're probably not going to do as well as they thought they would or as they should. Um, so, so that's the problem. Mélenchon is... is He's great. He's he has great language. He's he's very charismatic, but the baggage with that is that he's not. He doesn't seem to be the leader for our time in terms of. I mean, I, I think he's 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 too into himself. To, to put, and and that's a, that's a flaw. That's a flaw. Uh, it's it's a great asset when you're building up. It's very complicated when, when, once you get a big thing going, um, and that's that's unfortunate. But the people in the party they're great, and there's a lot of debate going on in there. So hopefully, you know, they'll settle the the battle between the big whales, and uh, we can move forward. I, as to your question about the sovereignty thing, I think you know 
what we need to get to to realistically we need to get into this bargain with germany again we need to change the balance of power with germany because and it would help germany as well by the way because yes. ordo liberalism is not great for germany um so we, we 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 need to change the balance of power with germany uh, it's almost like the workers of the world need to do something. I forget what. But uh, uh, yeah, right. I mean, and, and I, no, but I'm deeply internationalist. I, I really am. Like, me too. I me too. Yeah. I mean, it, like, it, it's so it's obvious that there is no solution inside. The only solution inside the confine of the old sovereign states is something that's like fascist adjacent, uh, and and it's not. I mean, it might be to the benefit. In the end, it might not benefit you, whom you think it would benefit. Uh, the so I'm really I believed that if we could create something. I mean, I know that Varoufakis and people like that they've been trying to get that going, and it's been a discussion on the left in Europe for a very long time. The how how do we create a true transnational left? Right. Uh, but we still have a lot of work to do. Uh, because I've seen in Spain, for instance, the left has been fractured by the question of Catalonia. Uh, in Italy, I don't know where the Italian left is. Uh, I don't know what happened to them. Uh, and, and so you have all these, we're in the phase of the tide is ebbing, I guess. Is it ebb? Yeah, no, it's like, it's retreating. Sorry. Yeah. The, 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 we're in this retreat right now. So it's hard but at the same time, I think it's 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 a great moment to rethink what's possible and to try yes. to imagine what it would look like because that's really all we can do. That's right. Um, so in your, <laughs> in your in your political imagination, what's the best and worst outcome of the uh, Gilets Jaunes movement? Um, worst outcome is Le Pen, uh, and. Uh, and and the thing is that Le Pen is like all the people around Le Pen. They're so incompetent, you know. Uh, it's they're like they're clowns. So so they're like the Trump people. They're they're malevolent clowns. Uh, yeah. They they really are. Yeah. So so I'm really dreading that. Uh, the best outcome would be to actually uh, manage uh, to raise taxes and you know sort of implement what Piketty wrote for Benoit Hamon and the Socialist Party in the last presidential election. Uh, and and that the the wealth tax would actually be used to transition uh, to you know renewable energy, which in France, by the way, is very complicated because the nuclear lobby is the state. So and yeah. they're all ENA and you know so so I'm talking about something like that would be a sort of eco ecological like a green type of platform. Um, the problem in France is that the Green Party is the same as Mélenchon. They spend their time stabbing each other for. Uh, who's going to be the, the leader of the groupuscule instead of creating a mass movement. Um, so that's, that's my hope. I, I want to believe. <laughs> I want you to yeah. believe too, because I want to yeah. believe. <laughs> Live long and prosper. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, yeah. Yeah, I mean, what could be better than that? It's, uh, yeah, yeah. Let's 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 be optimistic, guys. Um, not. They're, 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 uh, I, I'm sure you're gonna cut that, but like you know. No, you won't. That, no way. 
love that. That's an, you know, there's another pogrom, in, I mean, or like attempt at pogrom. It's a clown pogrom. It's like that's that's what they're doing here. Like I don't understand what's going on. I really hope that Barry Weiss will write an op-ed about how <laughs> American Jews should consider make Aliyah because she did that for France. So Barry, if you're listening, you know, um, <laughs> no doubt she is. Yeah. <laughs> Oh God! Uh, so this was another left-wing manual. Uh, it, it, like it, you, you guys need to add a woman here. I, I would like a, I would like to talk to a woman as well. That's yeah. Well, I, I, I can only do so much, my friend. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> but no, we we definitely we definitely like to to have even more women on the podcast as guests. But uh, I don't know. I think no, but you guys are fantastic, and I I uh, there are a few voices out there. Uh, in writing, but also on podcasts, there are a few voices out there that, uh, you know, help us move, move, move along. So I, uh, thank you, my we friend. need more. And thank you I for, I, for helping I, us. I, I, I wish I was more committed to that, but I, I'm still not a citizen and I, I wish I, yes. So I, I wish I could do more. Yeah, you're doing you're doing great things. Um, Everyone should buy your book and that will help you do more because it'll give you lots of good money. So, yeah, uh, (laughs) yeah, right. (laughs) All the Trekkies, all the the Trekkies listening and and all the, uh, you know, economic nerds buy Trekonomics. Thank you very much, Alexi. Thank you, my friend. It's been a pleasure. Namaste, guys. Yeah. (laughs) Namaste. Last but not least, we have a friendly reminder that we have a Patreon. You can support the show with $5 a month and get an extra episode every week. Uh, We really appreciate the support, and it helps us keep this going.